Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So this podcast is the first in a trilogy of podcasts tied to the Arizona trail camera issue. Today we sit down with Jay Scott. Jay is an outfitter in Arizona, a big outdoorsman, loves hunting. He himself doesn't really run trail cameras in the state of Arizona. And as you'll hear from this podcast, pretty much sits himself in the middle. He understands the pro-ban argument. He understands the anti-ban argument. And this is a good podcast to start this trilogy of trail camera podcasts on. Someone who sits in the middle. A hard-hitting conversation, some very direct questions, some very direct answers. I don't think there was a better person to have this middle ground type conversation than Jay Scott. So you were just telling me that you, you took the day off of fishing today. It's a rough life, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> my, hand, my hands are getting too many calluses on them. No, actually, we just... Uh, Took the day off, went on a nice hike this morning and uh, going to get after it uh, in the morning, uh, first light probably, and go do some fishing. Uh, we're here in 
Colorado. I just got uh, back from Idaho. I spent a month over there fishing and now we're in Colorado here for a couple of months. Interesting here in Colorado, uh, the snowpack was uh, marginal at best. And so pretty much all over the Southwest, uh, the snowpack was low. Mm -hmm. And uh, so our waters now are warming up to temperatures that are kind of becoming unhealthy for trout. Anytime you get over 65 degrees, when you catch a trout and, and you know, fight them on a fly rod, um, it can be bad for them, the, the oxygen in their blood sure, and stuff, sure. uh, the temperature's too high. So we're trying to fish in the mornings. Um, our temperatures here in this valley um, haven't gotten over 65 yet, so, but we're still trying to fish in the mornings uh, where it's uh, better for the, for the fish. So are you actually guiding people or are you just deciding to fish by yourself? Well, I, I fish with several buddies. Um, some of them are 70 plus years old and, oh, awesome. and are a lot of fun. And I learn a lot of things floating down the river. And, you know, some are in their 20s. I just took a friend that's 25 and, you know, casts like a dream and a true professional. But uh, the, on the fishing side of it, I do hold a fishing guides license for hunting and fishing. Okay. Uh, but but mainly fishing is, is my passion for uh, what I do Valentine. in the summer. It's, it's what I do to get between hunting seasons, um, but mainly just rowing uh, family and friends down the river. And, and I, I really love rowing a boat uh, down moving water in rivers and watching flies and watching mm -hmm. trout eat flies, sp uh, specifically have, brown trout. I have never done that. I have well, fly fished. I will, I will take you up and uh, not, I don't have to fish with you, obviously, but I definitely need to try and do it. Um, the fishing that I grew up with in South Africa was fly fishing in the mountains. And um, brown trout are native trout in South Africa. Rainbows are stocked. And I caught one beautiful big brown on the bottom of a waterfall. And it was like the most amazing experience because I thought I'd hooked into a rock. I was like, oh, crap, I'm stuck. Yeah, brown trout are my favorite. Um, they're just an amazing predator fish. You know, they eat other fish. Um, they eat pretty much anything. Uh I just, there's something about brown trout, uh, you know, they got big old teeth on them and big old mm -hmm. hook jaws, the males, uh, brown trout's an amazing fish for sure. Well, uh, to surprise everyone, this podcast is not going to be about fishing. Uh, <laughs> and I have been, again, I get accused all the time, Jay, you said, Robbie, you never introduce your guests. You just start talking and your guests never get introduced. So how about I pause for a second and Jay Scott, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm just a guy that likes to hunt and fish. It basically sums it up. I, I have a podcast myself. I uh, started in 2015. Got, I think, 785 episodes. I'm very fortunate and blessed to be able to talk about hunting and fishing and trying to promote the sport of hunting and fishing. It's given me so much joy. Uh, it, it's easy for me to to talk about hunting and fishing, and it's it's just an honor to be able to do that. So I try and portray hunting and fishing in as positive light as I can. And sometimes there's, you know, subjects like I feel like one of the ones we're going to talk about today, that's a little bit of a hard subject, but, you know, some things need to be talked about for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm also an outfitter. Uh, I do uh, Gould's turkey hunts in Mexico, coos deer hunts in Mexico, as well as I've had a uh, active uh, hunting and fishing guides license in the state of Arizona since I think 1997. Uh, primarily focusing on elk and and uh, bighorn sheep, uh, and I also am a hunt manager of a ranch here in Colorado called the Ot Six Ranch. It's for a private family. 
uh, primarily an elk ranch. It's uh, 50,000 acres and it's some of the best uh, elk habitat and get to witness the elk uh, doing some amazing things for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I watch Hunter Meekum's stories when you guys are out there and just watching the bulls and the bugling and I, Hunter and I are working on a, on a lion project right now. I don't know if he's told you about that or not. Well, he, he's an amazing uh, kid. Uh, I'm super blessed to have him working with me at the Ot 6 Ranch. And, you know, I want to say he's 25, 26 years old. I'm 48. And there's never a day that goes by that I don't learn something from him. He's got a mm -hmm. lot of experience for someone of his age. He comes from a super historical, uh, you know, lion hunting family tradition, yep. you know, going yep. back to his grandfather, who's I think 81 years old, still saddles yes, up so. every single day and, and goes and rides with them and, and chases lions. And, you know, an interesting story about Hunter I'll, I'll share real fast is, um, I don't know if you know, but, um, they're not, they don't kill lions. Um, you know, his dad, I believe has killed maybe one Tom and I think he was 200 pounds, just a giant lion. Um, Hunter himself, I don't think has ever killed a lion himself. Mm -hmm. Um, they do it for the love of, of watching the dogs and watching the dogs work and, yes, um, true conservationists in my mind. I mean, they absolutely yep. love mountain lions. I think they get a little lion hunters sometimes get a little bit of a bad rap and, and I've seen it personally with these guys. They, they care about elk and deer and sheep and they care about lions and, and they're great people. Mm -hmm. No, we're excited to work with them. So let's set the let's set the scene. You've been an outfitter in the state of Arizona since 1997. How many people do you think have outfitted in the state of Arizona longer than you? Oh, I mean, I'm sure there's there's handfuls that have, but I've I'm definitely becoming uh, one of the old timers. You know, I'm I'm 48 now and been doing it quite a while. Uh, you know, I can think of a few right off the top of my head okay. that have done it longer. Yes. Okay. But you've been in the game. I'm trying to set the tone. You've been here. You've been in the game a long time. Yeah. Some people would say too long. <laughs> <laughs> I think those people would mean that you're too good at what you do, Jay. Um, Jay, when trail cameras first came on the scene, um, did you start using them right away? No, to be honest with you, um, I don't use trail cameras too much in Arizona. Um, I maybe have four or five cameras that I have. None of them are out or deployed. Um, I use extensively at the Ot 6 Ranch on fully private ground, 50,000 acres of fully private. We probably have 200 trail cameras. Um, and I, Hunter and I use them extensively to uh, manage the ranch and to use that to see what animals are there and where they're going and you know it's it's amazing from every type of animal that's on the ranch it's it helps us to monitor those but to, to answer your question when they first came on the scene um you, you know i've used them very very sparingly um mm -hmm. and i and i'm not as active of an outfitter as some in in such that my outfitting business is gould's turkey and coos deer in mexico I would say that's 90% of my outfitting. And I take, you know, for 20 years, I took one elk hunter a year. I take one sheep hunter a year, okay. but I try and focus on super high quality hunt, super high quality experience. But, I, but there are some hunters that, you know, take 50, 60, 100, 200 hunts a year. And I'm, I'm not one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. The, and you're absolutely right. What you just talked about at the Art 6 Ranch is, is a very useful tool of trail cameras 
which is wildlife management, especially on private ground in which you can assess your herd, you can assess your herd health, you can be very selective of the individuals that you take. And the age, the age is huge, yeah. And the age. And I could argue that in a public situation, that could also work in your favor in that you'd assess the population, decide which is the most mature animal in there. However, the only difference between a private and public scenario is that the public, you have the, the paradigm, which is the tragedy of the commons, which is if you think that it's not quite big enough, the other guy may think that it is big enough sure. and will take it. So I, I honestly, from a wildlife management perspective, I think I think there's both both cases in a in a public land scenario. Would you agree or not agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, on on the Ot Six Ranch where it's private, we can totally control what animals get harvested and which ones don't. You know, the owner and and myself, you know, trying to manage for higher, uh, older age class animals, more mature animals. We're trying to shoot elk that are you know at least nine years old, and we're averaging in that nine to eleven, right around ten years old. Um, in public land, you may have people that, uh, are not into, they'll just want to shoot the first thing that they see. And, and so you have levels of, of, of every spectrum there of, of people that just want to shoot a buck or a ram or a bull, and they don't really care how old it is, um, which is their prerogative. Um, yeah, absolutely. So obviously the trail camera issue is a very, very touchy subject in Arizona right now. I don't need to set the history. Everyone that's listening to this is probably aware of it, but if you are not, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. The commission decided back in November that they were going to change the rule. They went through a couple of public meetings, a couple of iterations of what that could look like, quote unquote. And at the end of the day, the commission ruled five to nothing for a blanket trail camera ban in the aid of take of wildlife. Did I capture that correctly, Jay? Yeah. I was actually shocked that it went 5-0. Not shocked in the fact that the commissioners that we have voted 5-0, but just that a commission, a state commission would go 5-0 on something that is, you know, it's it's something, it doesn't seem right that it went 5-0. Why, why does it surprise you, Jay? I just think that, uh, you know, there's a few units that Arizona has had a problem with. And, and I think for a commissioner to stand there and, and make a decision based on the whole state over, you know, maybe three units, we're talking, you know, the strip 13A, 13B, and maybe unit nine for elk. Um, to me, 5-0, it, it, it seemed like there, it was already set before, you know, it was, they already had their mind made up, which, you know, I don't really have a dog in the fight because I don't necessarily, I've used trail cameras very sparingly, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. a couple hunts in 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, but I think to, you know, vote 5-0 and penalize potentially people that are in Southern Arizona that are walking four miles to a spring and they've never seen anybody on their camera and they're you know, getting everything from Gould's turkeys to javelina to mountain lions to bobcats to birds of all sorts and, you know, coos deer and, and, and now they can't run a trail camera because, you know, the guys up in 13A and 13B where the big giant deer are and it's gotten so competitive. Right. I mean, I see both sides of the story. I, I, I've got friends that are for it. I've got friends that are against it. Um, I just 
you know, I hate to see an all out ban. I hate to see that. You know, I would have probably rather seen a season. I probably would have rather seen them, you know, maybe manage the three or four problem units and kind of keep a monitor on it. Um, it it's going to be real interesting to see how it shakes out for sure. So being an outfitter, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this thing because it keeps coming up, which is this, is that people, the commission used the idea that there was a public safety issue. That was one of the whole big deals, right? It's this public safety issue. Now, granted, in these three units that you're referring to, there are lots of big animals. Well, I wouldn't say lots. There are big animals and it's big money to go after those big animals. Naturally, those two things combined would lead to conflict. There is no, I don't think anyone, if someone's saying that there is no conflict there, I wouldn't believe you because that's human nature. If there's even altercations, fisticuffs, right? Probably happens. I would think though, and from an outfitter perspective, I want, not that this has happened to you or not, but would you even report it? Because that's the other thing, right? There's no public records of confrontation. In my brain, why would there be? Because nobody's going to tattletale. They're just going to sort it out. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so shocking to me that it, that it went 5-0. And it, it, it seems, and, you know, forgive me, I haven't studied all of the data and what. I've just, you know, been around for a long time. And I listen and talk to a lot of people on my podcast. I talk to a lot of people off my podcast. And it's a great podcast, by the way. I want Thank everyone you. to know that. Thank that you. Jay Scott I, Outdoors I, is a phenomenal podcast. He gets 50 cents every time he says that. So there you go. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things I talk to a lot of people and it just feels like, um, it just feels like everybody's getting penalized for a couple of units that, that probably shouldn't have. And as far as, you know, having fights and, and stuff over water holes, I think the biggest problem that the commissioners must have seen with this is the fact of they feel like if people are constantly checking cameras during the season, to me, that's where the biggest rub is. I don't think mm -hmm. there's really a rub of, of all the outfitters and all the hunters knowing where each water hole and where the specific bucks like to go and where, you know, the specific animals like to, like to hang out. I think the problem that I've heard about is during the hunts, people are going in and checking cameras and there may be someone sitting that water hole trying to hunt that water hole. Mm. And, 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 but to me, you know, looking at it from someone that really doesn't have a dog in the fight, it seemed like it would be easy to maybe manage that with a season and just say, okay, as of whatever date, August 1st or September, whatever you pick the date and just say, you got to pull the cameras. And um, then people can still run their cameras all summer and, and get an inventory of, of animals that are there. And um, to me, that seemed like a more logical mm -hmm. thing to do than be the first state in the United States to completely ban trail cameras. I mean, public, private. I mean, you, you, so you, there's very little private in Arizona, but let's say right. you owned a 10,000 acre ranch, which there, there aren't any, but let's just say you did. Are you saying that? you know, if I owned this square that I couldn't run trail cameras there and no, it's not affecting or bothering anyone. It's my private property. Right. Um, I don't know. I just, it's tough uh, to swallow. Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, I've got, it, it's such an, obviously it's very polarizing. It's extreme. It's like 
the only thing that's probably more polarizing at this stage is wolves <laughs> than the pro and anti-trail camera people in Arizona. There's very few people that are kind of like me that are right in the middle and like, well, mm -hmm. you know, I see it from both sides. It cool. seems as though, look, you know, I, I tried to study up a little bit um, and talk to a few people. I tried to read on a few forums and I was like, wow, you've got people on each side and there's not very many people in the middle and the people are adamantly either opposed or adamantly for them, um, which is understandable. Uh, but it, again, it's one of those things, it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like the public comments that came in uh, were against the ban. It seems like there was a majority, you know, or no, overwhelmingly majority against. Against banning trail cameras, not mm -hmm. for trail cameras. Correct. Um, you know. And, and then, then to the, vote 5-0 against I'm an saying. overwhelming majority. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It, it seems like uh you know and that's what they're that's what they're there for that's what they're appointed for is to make decisions but it mm -hmm. it seems to me that maybe they didn't listen to the public uh maybe as much as they should yeah you know if i had to go back in time say back in marchish when we first interviewed them when i first interviewed them and it was a very you know non-critical type interview that's not who we are we don't point fingers because again we don't know the issues i just wanted to hear from them and i'd finish that podcast if you had called me jay and said robbie what do you think's going to happen this is what i thought was going to happen because at that point it was blankets i thought what they had done was they had set the boss at the at the toppest level right this is this is the biggest and then through public comment it would have whittled itself down to like okay here is a strategy that we're going to put forward that will be adapted through time because that yeah. would make sense, right? You gather the data, you look at the results. Is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? If not, change it, move it, because that's what you can do as the commission. So then they came out with the blanket. And I scratched my head a little bit. And this is I one of too. the questions that I'm going to pose to the commissioners, which is, you know that this rule is, is, is to be reopened next year. This, this part of the, con I, I don't quite understand it, but as I understand it, this rule, this, this, the thing that the trail camera sits under will be opened in 2022 for reevaluation. I wonder if they'll open it. And then at that time, they adapt it. Well, yeah, you, you kind of wonder if they were, you know, I, I kind of go along exactly what you're saying in March. I thought, you know, they're going to go up here and then they're going to bring it down. They're going to say, okay, we're going to have a season or we're going to, you know, you know, bring it down a level. And I was actually shocked to see it just, I mean, 5-0 and quick, just mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and push through. And I didn't know it was going to be reopened. Um, you know, I'm... I don't know. Look, I, I'm, I'm surmising based on what I, what I know about the different rule categories. They get opened every five years essentially. And next year is the fifth year for this specific area. And I guess by constitution, by law, it has to be opened and reevaluated. Yeah. I mean, again, it. I see both sides of it. I see the value of having cameras. I see the value of getting rid of the cameras. Um, I just feel like the general sportsman who's not up in those three units, whose kids enjoy 
getting up early and going with their dad to go pull trail cameras, set trail cameras, look at all of the cool things that you get on cameras. You know, on one hand, we talk about recruiting new people to the sport. We talk mm-hmm. about trying to re- retention, keep people in the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, on one hand, I think banning trail cameras, you're eliminating. But tra- Jay, they're not banning trail cameras. They are kind of, I mean. They're banning the, the use of take. The law's written camera. so vague. The, and that's one of the things, if they were going to write it, it seemed like they should have got really, really specific. Um it's super vague and it's i still feel like there's people that are going to take advantage of the way the rule is written mm-hmm. and you know let's say i'm not hunting in 13a or 13b or unit 9 mm-hmm. and you know i'm a kid out of out of high school and i need to make some money and i'm not even hunting i'm going to go run 200 in a 200 in b and 200 in unit 9 and i don't even hunt let's say i don't even have a hunting license mm-hmm then I'm going to be able to share that information with whoever I want and they can come and say, well, Hey, you, well, I mean, how do they prove, like, I don't even have a, where's the line, where's the line, right? Right. So that's where maybe, you know, a season or, um, maybe just in those three units saying, Hey, from this date to this date, you can run them all you want from if, if a camera is found between these dates, anybody out there can just simply grab the camera bring it in, have a place where you bring the cameras and that's where they go. People could come collect their cameras if they want or issue a fine if your cameras are found. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different, but to, to penalize someone in central Arizona or southern Arizona or western Arizona mm-hmm. who, you know, I've got a friend who just likes to monitor javelina. Javelina. He doesn't even care about deer or anything else. He monitors javelina. And every once in a while, he has a hunt. Whether he hunts them or he takes his kids, well, now the way that law is written, if he has pictures of that javelina four years earlier, and then they go in a unit and they go kill a javelina, a pig, he, they could technically argue that he had data that helped them kill that pig, and now he's going to get in some sort of trouble. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem right to me. Mm-hmm. No, there's definitely a lot of what ifs, right? Um, I, I'll still stand by the fact that they haven't outright banned trail cameras in terms of use, right? So someone can go out, they can put a trail camera out, they can look at wildlife, they can show their kids wildlife, they can show their grandkids wildlife. But if they decide that we are going to hunt in that area, to your point, it's very gray in terms of what does that mean? Is there a statute of limitations on the pictures that I have? Is it a month, three months, three years, 30 years? What is that statute of limitations tied to it? Which is definitely gray. And as you say, somebody's going to, you know, somebody's gonna just say, screw it. I'm just gonna do it. And we're gonna figure this out in the court system. When you decide to prosecute me, I'm gonna go, I had a trail camera out eight months ago, had a couple of pictures, and then I went back in the area nine months later with no pictures in between and killed something. You said that I took that piece of wildlife off from a trail camera. Yeah, I mean, the the can of worms has been opened with as vague as this, this ruling, this law, if you will, you know, the ruling that's been made, it's so vague, 
there's even more, it's even more of an issue now. The can of worms has been open. You know, I've heard, I think you're interviewing one of the groups that I've heard, you know, they're going to try and sue the game and fish. And it's like, yep. that's the last thing, you know, as sportsmen, we need going on right now. It seemed sure. like the, the game and fish maybe could have dealt with this a little bit more gingerly than to have sportsmen suing our own game and fish. And I'm not saying that they don't have a valid right to, but you know, we've got enough issues to worry about than having our own sportsmen suing our game and fish department. Yep. Well, you when know? somebody, you but can they, almost, but if when someone doesn't want to listen, that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't have a right or that they don't have a, a, a leg to stand on. It's just unfortunate that we're at where we're at. Why couldn't they have done some seasons for a few years, see how it works. And then, sure. you know, if, if, problems continue to happen then then you know maybe they escalate and go to where they're at now yeah no 100 percent. it'll be interesting you know it'll be interesting the next year will be very very telling uh given that the commission does change right in 22 um i believe chairman davis is leaving and there'll be a new commissioner appointed um it will be certainly unique and if I'm correct, and that the rule is to be open next year. That's another another wrinkle to the whole saga, right? I'm definitely going to be interested to see how it shakes out. Um, you know, for me, over at the Ot 6 Ranch on private property, if all of a sudden Colorado followed suit and, and, you know, the 200 cameras that we run, they say we can't run them from a managed, from a wildlife management standpoint, it's going to hurt us. Um, we glass for 45 days straight, Hunter and I morning and evening. Um, and we monitor as much as we can. And then we run the trail cameras and, you know, we go off of our videos that we've taken off our phone through our spotting scopes. And, you know, we're, we're specifically trying to target older, mature age class bulls and, um, you know, not having that data and not having those trail camera pictures and videos uh, will definitely hurt us from a wildlife management standpoint. Um, you know, and it's a it's it's a fine line when you start, you know, making a blanket decision like that. Yep. Yep. Well, Jay, I appreciate your time. Um, I appreciate the honesty and um you know, obviously the serious nature of this conversation, but the just straightforward style conversation between the you and myself. So um, any final words? Go ahead. Yeah. One thing I might add is, you know, no matter what side you're on, um, you know, voice your opinion and, and, you know, go on forums and, you know, write your commissioners and, you know, talk to your wildlife managers and, you know, on both sides and it's okay to have dialogue. I think it's important to, to, to have this, um, you know, don't get so mad that you just clam up or that you, you know, start personally attacking people or anything like that, you know, state your case, make, make your points. And, and, you know, I think, I think there's opportunities for things to get overturned. Um, and us as sportsmen, we don't need our, our voice silenced. We need, if you feel adamant about something and you have, you know, data points that can prove your point, you know, tell it to whoever will listen. 
Mm -hmm. And I, th I think the most important part of what you just said is that dialogue is important and it's okay to have differing opinions and you can discuss it with someone that does have a differing opinion than you do. And you can do it in a very respectful way. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to throw your toys, yeah. but you are allowed to have an opinion and you are allowed to debate and dialogue with someone that is of different opinion than you are. Yeah, because how many times have we seen, how many times have you changed your opinion on something where when all of a sudden a bunch of information has been brought to you and you and you say, wow, you know, I've really, I've not looked at that from that perspective or that angle. And, um, you know, so I think it's important to, you know, go ahead and keep voicing your opinion. I think there's avenues to do that. And I'm glad that you're having these guys, the different, you know, sides on the, on the podcast to talk about it. Um, and maybe it'll shed some light and maybe it'll, you know, create an opportunity where, where maybe there can be a little bit of a, a meet in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so. Okay. Well, Jay, don't, uh, don't hurt your arm tomorrow on hauling out tons of beautiful I'll brown trout. Okay. I'm icing my arm here tonight just so I can uh, pull in the big one tomorrow. So don't worry <laughs> about me. Uh, cheers, mate. Okay. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.